Christians have a tendency to argue and to fight. Here's the reason. Desires for pleasure, or in the original King James, is just the word lust. And then he goes on to say that you covet, and that word covet is the Greek word zelao, uh, which is to burn with zeal. The root of disagreements for Christians is zelao, towards the things of the world. James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Sometimes when we study the Bible, we are often hit by where we fall short but he follows it up here with five we talked about words being like a honeycomb these are words that are that are a honeycomb but he gives more grace that's what true repentance looks like it's not just hey i'm going to try to do better there are some steps that we need to to take it's important that we resist and turn away from sin it's important that we turn away from sin and we draw near to god that we spend some time lamenting and mourning and that we humble ourselves and allow God to be the one to tell us when it's time to move forward, to be lifted up by God. All right. Welcome to Zoom Through the Bible, uh, week five. Really appreciate you making some time uh, to be a part of our study Tonight, we will finish the book of James. Look at that. We already got one book in the books uh, already. What do you know? Um, really appreciate you guys being a part of this so far. It's been a lot of fun. We've learned a lot uh, as we've gone through here. And um, I think there's still a lot more uh, to learn. So, again, really appreciate it if you're joining us here in the zoom and interacting with us that way really appreciate it I, I don't ever get a chance to see what's happening in the chat because i just don't have the octopus tentacles to be able to know what's happening at all times but i do get to see the chat transcript after afterwards which is just an entertaining i think especially because the chat transcript doesn't always line up with exactly where we're at in the study so it's just sort of backhanded comp uh comments about random things which is perfect for our study, I think. So um, really appreciate all the interaction that's happening and, and, and support that by all means. Uh, blow up the, uh, the chat as much as you want. And uh, if you are watching us on Facebook, appreciate that, appreciate the kind uh, comments that we get there as well. And then our podcast uh, as well as we have available. Noah's done a great job of getting that and making that available the day after. So. Uh, something easy there. There also, I'll encourage you guys. You can invite somebody like right now if you wanted to. There is the invite button if you click on your participate participants button on your Zoom screen. There's an invite button if you just wanted to. Hey, I want this person to be in here with me. That's always a possibility too. So, encourage you to take advantage of that if that's something that you wanted to do. But uh, we're really excited about where this study is and how it's sort of shaping into place. We're trying to find our footing still and. I think we still have a ways to go, but um, I'm really happy about where we've been uh, so far. So tonight we are going to finish the book of James, James chapter five. Uh, if you want to turn there in your Bibles and I have a couple of other scriptures to sort of earmark here. Um, Matthew 18, six and Job 1, 20 through 22. Do I have any brave souls that want to help us out and read this week? 
Anybody? Noah, do you want to take uh, Matthew 18, 6? Anybody else? Lindsay, will you take the Job scripture? Appreciate it. All right. So let's jump in here uh, to James chapter five, and we're going to look at the first 12 verses to start. And I've titled these first 12 verses, uh, the best way to wait. And well, you know what? Let's pray actually first. I always, I need to like write that on a sticky note and just stick it on my face or something to make sure that I remember to start it the right way. So let's pray real quick. Then we'll get into our study. Heavenly father, thank you for getting us here tonight, uh, for making a way despite busy schedules and all the craziness going on in the world for uh, us to come together and to open your word and to learn from your word. So we come with anticipation that you teach us Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So I've titled the first um, section here, the best way to wait. And before we start reading the actual scriptures, the, the thing I just want to point out sort of ahead of that is that um, the best way to wait before we dig into what the scriptures say is very simply just not to just wait. Um, and I think that makes sense, right? Like just sitting around and waiting for something to happen is the worst, right? Everybody knows that's the worst, just sitting around and waiting for something to happening. It's almost agonizing, right? To, uh, and probably put you into a situation where you're more likely to do something you'd regret uh, if you just have to sit around and wait. Uh, there are mechanisms that we can use to help us wait. I think of like, you know, Christmas uh, as a kid, you think about Christmas and the idea of waiting for Christmas morning, especially if you got to Christmas Eve and the waiting of Christmas morning. Like, even though I know not a, especially for parents, not a lot of sleep happens Christmas Eve night. Um, but for children, even with all the excitement, sleep is the mechanism that makes waiting for Christmas morning to be possible, right? You got to go to sleep. I can remember as a kid, uh, going to sleep at like my grandparents' house, uh, hearing all the adults sort of playing cards and, and, you know, talking and being merry. And we had to go to bed because Santa was coming in the morning and, uh, the, the anticipation was too much, but ultimately you'd fall asleep finally. And then you wake up and it's there. So that's the mechanism. We're on a plane that that's helpful for people. I'm just going to sleep on the flight because I just need to get through the plane. I want to get to where I'm getting. That's a mechanism to sort of help us traffic. Uh, we can use mechanisms to get through traffic, even though that's probably where waiting, showing patience is probably the most difficult, but you know, you throw in a nice podcast, maybe a new podcast, maybe one called zoom through the Bible. I'm not sure, but you throw in a nice podcast or you have some, um, you know, good music going on. That's a good way to pass the time instead of being that guy. And we may, this may come up a few times as we continue to go through the Bible, but don't be that guy who's like swerving in and out of lanes. Cause one lane's moving a little bit faster than the other lane. And then they cut back into the other lane and they sort of move. Don't, don't be that guy um, or gal. Uh, I think one of my favorite things in life uh, is being able to pass that guy when he like cuts in front of you to try to get to another lane. And then that lane stops and you get to like pass them and just sort of give the look as you go by. Um, anyways, uh, mechanisms to help you pass the time. Uh, this pandemic has given us the, the idea of waiting. Heidi and I talk often about 
uh, how we're just sort of feel like we're waiting around for, for things to kind of get back to normal or normalize in some way. Uh, but you still are trying to find ways to sort of pass the time. And one of the things that we've sort of seen is that the more you can do, the more that you can do things to help pass the time, the faster the time goes. It is sort of crazy to think that we've been doing this for about a year now. And it, it has been a year when you start, start to think of how the time has passed. So uh, the best way to wait is not just to wait. It's to have mechanisms in place to help with the waiting. And so that's what we're going to look at here as we jump into, into the scripture. So let's, let's go ahead and read again, uh, James chapter five, starting in verse one <clears throat> says, come now you rich Weep, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted, your garments are moth-eaten, your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So over these 12 verses, uh, I'm pulling out three things that I feel like can be those mechanisms to essentially help us to wait for, uh, and the key is found there in verse seven, uh, for the Lord's return. Um, so that, that's what we're waiting for. As Christians, we eagerly wait for, for Jesus to make his way back. And again, in, in verse seven, I have it highlighted here. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So we sort of eagerly, not sort of, we do eagerly wait the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to take us on home to heaven. But that's not happening right this second and there's work to be done and we have to wait and sort of so as over these uh these first 12 verses here i have uh again some mechanisms in place that i'm, I'm sort of pulling out from here as uh, as what we can do while we wait so uh the first thing that i have here which is found in the first six verses is to not become obsessed with the riches of the world do not become obsessed with the riches of the world. Uh, in the first six verses here, uh, and we'll look at them here again, but uh, there's sort of a, a scaling rebuke of rich, of the rich, uh, of rich people. Uh, you see here um, that, that James is, is really, really 
uh, coming down on on the rich. He says, you, you rich, you weep and howl for your miseries are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Garments are moth-eaten. Gold and silver corroded. The corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. I believe I have that uh, opened up here. Yeah, will eat your flesh like fire. You will have heaped up treasure in the last days. You can see here, indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your cities, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. So some really scathing remarks that James is giving to the rich. And why? It brings up the question of why. What, what, why does uh, James kind of have it stuck in his craw, so to speak, on the rich? And, and really, if you start to break it down, what you can probably see is James has used the rest of this letter to talk to the reader about a, a life that is completely devoted to God that is not devoted to anything else and is only devoted to God. And the, for a rich person, it is easy to make the leap that for somebody who has a lot of means in their life, they may be the hardest people or may have the hardest time in being completely devoted to God. Those that have the more means can be devoted to their means or relying on their means rather than relying on God. And so that it sort of makes sense there. Uh, and also going back to, to next week, or excuse me, going back to last week, uh, getting uh, to uh, sometimes this is, the, or let me back up, going back to the mechanisms uh, for waiting. Uh, this this is is an idea of being too preoccupied with the things of this world. It's sort of like when you go to a deli counter and you take your you take your number and you're sort of waiting for the deli people to call your number and you're always you're always behind that person that's getting like 15 different types of lunch meat, right? Um, but you're waiting for them to call your number, but then you like start to scary over to what the store has and you just like are sort of distracted by everything that the store has to offer and maybe you miss. Uh, when your time comes, that's also sort of why uh, James would be telling the people to, to be careful getting too obsessed with the riches of this world. It is one of those mechanisms for waiting. Also, uh, this kind of goes back to what we talked about last week uh, when it comes to, and, and you see in verses two and three, and I'll, I'll pull them up here, I'll pull them up here again. Um, stuff of this world is going to uh, be destroyed. It's, it's not going to be able to last. There, there is no, uh, the things that this world offers are, are only here for a limited amount of time. And so uh, as he talks about here, your riches are corrupted. That word uh, corrupted, you may have a footnote in your Bible that, that uh, leans it to say like rotted. This, this is more talking about food. So instead of riches, this is like riches in food, so to speak. So your food is rotted. Your garments are moth eaten and your gold and silver are corroded. So basically saying that anything that this world offers you essentially is only here for a small amount of time, whereas God is, is life everlasting. And so don't even spend your time being obsessed about it. And we use this again last week as one of those examples of why it's sort of uh, be a dumb thing to fight over all of these things, food, garments, stuff, money. Those are sort of dumb things that, that James pointed out last week. But the other thing that I wanted to, to point out here is that specifically um, James is, is showing sort of God's personality a little bit in, in calling out, taking advantage 
of the poor or the helpless. He says here, indeed, the wages of the laborers who, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. One of the things that I like to point out when we do Bible studies, I may have already mentioned this before, is you know, you read the word of God because you want to get to know God. That's the great thing about being a Christian is that this is a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior. And as part of having a personal relationship is getting to know that person. I know my wife better now than when we started our relationship. I know you all better now than the first day that I met you guys, because you get to know somebody, you learn more things about them. It helps to increase your relationship. It is no different with God. And so I think that's really important when we read the Bible is to try to find little aspects of God's personality that shine. And you can see this throughout the Bible that not one of the aspects of God's personality is that he does not like people being taken advantage of. He does not like the poor and the helpless being taken advantage of, whether it's here where, again, he says uh, the Lord of Sabbath. This is not to be con confused with the Lord of the Sabbath. That's a totally different thing. The Lord of Sabbath in the Old Testament is, is known as the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies. This is like, hey, this has reached the, the general here. This is God the general that's getting upset about how you're treating some of your laborers, you rich people. And whether it's turning over change tables in the temple, we look at turning over the change tables as just simply that there was business being done in the, in the temple, but that's not necessarily the reason why Jesus had the righteous indignation that he did to turn over those change tables. If you study what ha what's happening there in the temples, what was happening is that one person would come with their sacrifice. The, the person there would deem it unacceptable. It would be too blemished, but they'd have already a pre-approved uh, uh, sacrifice that they could use. So they'll take your sacrifice and then they'll They'll give you one of these pre-approved ones again for a price. And then the next person would come from behind you and yours that wasn't pre-approved before all of a sudden became approved and they could just continue to, to circulate this. These were the types of things that Jesus saw. And again, his people being taken advantage of and God does not like that. We find another example in Matthew chapter 18, verse six that Noah has for us. Noah, would you mind unmuting and reading that for us? All right. Uh, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus talking <laughs> about uh, what it would be better for if somebody were to lead away a child or, again, somebody helpless or easily gullible or easily um, to be taken off course. So this is just sort of one of those those aspects of God that we see over and over and in scripture uh, that he just one of the aspects is he does not like people being taken advantage of. And that 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 shines through here. So the first thing, again, uh, going back to our mechanisms to help us to wait patiently uh, for the re return of our Lord Jesus Christ is to not become obsessed with the riches of the world. The next section here is uh, found in verses seven through 11, which talks about patience and endurance, patience and endurance. Uh, let's see. Uh, I had some uh, scriptures here that I, I just wanted to read because I know it's been uh, a minute since I, I read all that. Verse seven, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Um, he talks about here um, the farmer waiting patiently for his 
his crops. Uh, the thing about farmers, and if you've been in Buckeye for any amount of time, you know that Buckers, uh, Buckeye is full of farmers and farmers are not lazy. Um, and <laughs> Buckeyes just don't just sit around waiting for rain to come, especially here, and <laughs> for crops to yield. There is a lot of work to do while you wait uh, and that you wait earnestly and that you wait with anticipation for what comes. So we're, we're, we're shown here as um, a farmer waits. The one that I want to point out here that he also talks about is um, he mentions Job, which um, the men's group is going to talk about Job uh, the next time we meet. But, but he mentions Job here as, as an example of this patience and endurance. Quick recap, if you don't know Job, but uh, Job it, it, we start off the book of Job with this sort of heavenly spiritual standoff between God and Satan. And essentially, God tells Satan, look, um, Satan's trying to tell God, you have all these people that they, they, they worship you only because you keep them safe and uh, because you make their lives perfect. And, and God says, that's not the case. They worship me because they love me. Uh, watch here, do whatever you want to do to this guy, Job, and you'll see um, that he won't, he won't go astray from me. And so then we see this uh, 20 or so chapters, 30 chapters of awful things happening to Job and uh, family and friends trying to interpret why these bad things are happening. But what we see specifically is that Job stays faithful through all of it. Uh, I'm not ashamed to say, and my, my wife and I have had many a conversation about this, that uh, as, a, as a young person, um, I remember le- her- hearing about Job the first time in my life, and I thought, I want to be that. Now, I, I apparently didn't uh, really understand um, you know, what leprosy is and how awful some of the things that happened to Job were, um, but I, it, the idea of God being able to be like, that's my guy do what you want to him. That's my guy. I know that he won't turn on me that, that I wanted to be that for God. And that was, he was sort of a hero of mine as a kid growing up. And, uh, you know, so I, I tell that to my wife and then you got to be careful because everything that bad that's happened, like, great, you wanted to be Job. Here we go. Uh, here, there's another thing, but, uh, we have all our limbs, um, we're okay. So I, you know, everything's, everything's okay so far, but Job's story tells us a couple of different things, teaches us a few different things. Uh, the first thing that Job's story teaches us specifically here, and I have these, uh, to pull out here in the scriptures, uh, is perseverance. And then this idea that, that what happened to Job was intended by God or intentionality. And then the third thing that Job's story teaches us is compassion. Um, and so let's talk about the, the, uh, perseverance and actually have, uh, Lindsay, will you, do you mind un, unmuting and reading, uh, Job one twenty through 22 to talk about that perseverance? Sure. Um, at this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked, I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So all the things that Job went through, the the disease, the famine, the losing of his possessions, everything that he went through, uh, he never charged God with it. He stayed true and faithful to God. And so there's an aspect of perseverance that Job's 
that what Job went through that we're supposed to learn from that. The second thing that's really cool is that it says of Job and seen uh, James is talking again. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord. That's sort of the most amazing thing about Job, right? Because we can look back on Job and we can see what God was doing. We can see this sort of cosmic game that was being played, so to speak. It's probably a better word than game when it's these circumstances. But you can see this big thing that's happening and, and Job being used for it. Uh, but Job couldn't see that, right? And, but you can't, we do look back on it and we can see that there was intentionality that was happening. Um, and that is to sort of teach us that, that things are going on in Job's life and things may be going on in our life that, that are going on for a reason, but are outside of our own understanding. That's a really important thing for us to understand. But if we can trust God, then it makes a huge, huge difference. Charles Spurgeon, great theologian, uh, had this to say about this particular portion of scripture. He said this, if a man were to attack me with a knife, I would resist him with all my strength and count it a tragedy if he succeeded. Yet if a surgeon comes to me with a knife, I welcome both him and the knife. Let him cut me open even wider than the knife attacker, because I know his purpose is good and necessary. I thought that was a really cool way of sort of thinking about this, that, that uh, when it's God, when the knife's in God's hands, when God sort of has his hand over what's happening in our lives, we can trust our God that he's, that what he's doing is for good, that he will work all things out uh, for the good in our case. And then the last thing here, and it says that the Lord is very compassionate. We see compassion in God. And this almost speaks back to, again, this is James writing here in chapter five, that the Lord is very compassionate in all of the trials that, um, that Job went through. So this almost harkens back all the way to, to, to James chapter one, when he says, count it all joy when you encounter various trials, like we talked about then, um, because we have a compassionate God. And, and here's, here's what I can say about having a compassionate God. Many uh, false religions uh, have deities that they would, uh, you know, devout, devout their lives to and would worship and, and call their God. Um, we are the only ones that have a God who walked in man flesh, who knows our limitations and knows the, uh, the things that we deal with as mankind. God could have compassion for Job because he knew what it would, what, it, what it would be like. And, you know, you got to think in God's timeline, obviously Jesus hadn't come to earth yet, but you know what I mean? God, God is not in one amount. Of, let's not talk about that because it would get too metaphysical here, but God knows what it means to be man. Um, God knows the limitations of having family and having these, these issues that come up with family and disagreements amongst family. God knows everything that Job's going through. God knows everything that we're going through. Why? Because God walked in our shoes literally walked in our shoes and knows what it's like to be a man. So um, that is why God can have compassion. Uh, Charles Spurgeon talked about this, this word compassionate here in James. Um, and, and in the Greek, he says it's a great heart. And so it indicates great tenderness from our God. All right. And then the next uh, section here that we would look at. So the first mechanism is uh to not become obsessed with the things of the world. The second mechanism is to have patience and endurance. Uh, the third mechanism, uh, I'm calling plain speak, plain speak, and it's found in verse 12. Uh, plain speak is, um, let's see, where, where did I have that? But let, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. 
uh, is, is sort of the last thing that he has uh, written here. I don't know if there's ever been a time in, in history where it is so important to choose your words wisely. We live in maybe the most cynical society ever. And this might drive people crazy. Uh, the idea of like cancel culture or the idea that, that everybody has sort of a cynical approach to literally everything. And this, this could drive some people crazy. And I understand that. I really do. But I think there needs to be a bit of looking in the mirror by the church specifically for what's happening uh, in the culture that has been developed in us um, now. I, I believe that a lot of the reason why we see a lot of um, this cynicism in our society is mostly due to generations of people who uh, have not witnessed mostly Christians, but not really anybody, allow their yes to be yes and their no to be no. People's yeses are not yes, their noes are not noes. They that middle area is really what has gotten us in trouble. You say, you, you know, you say, yes, you should love your neighbor, but then watch people don't do not do that, right? You see, you say that no, you shouldn't sin. Sin equals death. No, you shouldn't sin, but then watch people be okay with certain sins, but not with others. I believe that the fact that our yeses are not yes and our noes are not noes is what has led to such a cynicism in the society that we live in. And if we want to start making any endways, I don't know what the word is there. I don't know why I chose to use it if I don't know what the word is. But if, we, if we're trying to make any progress, let's go there, progress, if we are ever going to make any progress, I think it's going to have to start with all of us as followers of Jesus Christ to allow our yes to be yes and our no to be no and to stand firm uh, in, in the things that, that, that God has already revealed to us. So the next section here in, uh, in verse, verse 13, here's my favorite portion of, of the study uh, for tonight. And I have it uh, just titled, The Importance of the Church. The Importance of the Church. So let's pull that up, starting here in verse... Uh, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And it and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain for the, uh, on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Brethren, if there's any among you, wanderers from the truth and someone turns him back let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins what i see here in these final six uh verses seven verses of the book of james of james's letter uh that we find in the bible is just uh, again the importance of the church itself and i see in here let's see what do i have five 
six, six different things that are pointed out here in the scripture that I want to, I want to talk about that are elements of, of the church. Look at my cute little church building uh, that I have for you. Elements of the church from James chapter five. Now, I do want to put a little caveat on the front of this, that this is not an exhaustive list of what the church is or what the church should be. There are plenty of things that aren't mentioned here in James chapter five that are essential parts of the church, you know, such as teaching, such as community service uh, to the area. There are many different things that the church should be, uh, the church should stand for that are not mentioned in James five. But I just think that this is a nice area as James closes his out to show, to show us why having a church is so important and being a part of the church is so important. So let's look at those individually. The first one uh, that he talks about here is prayer. Prayer should be a part of our church. Pastor Chris just finished a series on prayer four weeks, I think, uh, that we went through that. And uh, we talked a lot about the different aspects of prayer and why prayer was so important. Really cool study last Sunday about uh, Jabez's prayer. And so uh, this is four people. So the church can be praying for other people. Uh, there is power when people get together. I mean, James talks about it here. The effective, fervent prayer uh, avails much. Um, this, there is power when, when as a congregation you come together and you are praying for something uh, to happen or and for someone and what they need. Um, this is also, the prayer is also important when you get to pray with People. It's important to be able to come together in agreement, to pray together, um, to lock hands whenever that's safe, and to pray uh, to, to our God. So there's, there's an important, important element of the church is prayer. The next one, uh, celebrating. Uh, the church should be a place where people can go and tell other people their good news, the blessings that God has given them in their lives. You should, you should want to be excited to go to the church to, to show them the new car that you got that God helped that helped you get, or that your kid got into the school that they wanted to get into, or that you got the good clean bill of health from your doctor or whatever it is that's worth celebrating. You got a new job. Um, you should be able to go to your brothers and sisters in the church and celebrate that with them uh, to celebrate the blessings that God has. Unfortunately, a lot of times um, those things turn into like judgment and people don't really want to do that, but that is not why, what should be happening in the church. We should be celebrating uh, with one another. The next one I have here is singing. Maybe not necessarily my singing, but any joyous noise that can be made to the Lord is, is important to have in every church. This just sort of, uh, there's something about worshiping God and the singing that's happening and the lifting of voices that just gives an air of joyousness amongst the congregation. And so that's really, really important. This next one, anointing with oil is mentioned here in James chapter five. Anointing with oil is really important. If there are any sick among you, bring them up in front of uh, to the elders of the church, allow them to be anointed with oil, to be to be prayed for is what we're commanded to do in our um, in, in scripture. And the church should be a place for hurting people. And that anointing is the way that we can allow God to be working in people's lives. Uh, the next one I just mentioned a little bit, elders. It's important to have churches so that you can have brothers and sisters who are maybe more seasoned in the Lord, maybe not in life, but in the Lord than you are. And you can rely on them for wisdom and for advice. Uh, that's really, really important to have within a church. And then the last one here is accountability uh, that, that we talk about here. It says, 
um, confess your trespasses to one another. Now, this is not you. Uh, I tell you the hard things that I'm going through or the sin that I'm struggling with because I want you to, uh, you know, judge me for it or go tell somebody else about it. Matter of fact, this this really speaks to the the freedom to find and make a bond with not everybody, but possibly at least somebody that you can be accountable to, uh, to help um, you be accountable to your own sin and the things that they, if, if your brother knows that you're struggling with something, they can kind of call, check on you, help you through it. So that's another really important aspect of uh, the church that's mentioned here in James chapter five. We're going to wind this down, but really quick, I just wanted to mention that you might be listening to me talk about all of these great aspects of the church. And there may be some of us that are sitting here longing for what we remember of the church pre-pandemic. And I understand uh, that many of the things that we just talked about uh, are made easier to do when we're able to meet in person in a building. But the point that I would like to leave you with tonight is that they are not underline not, capital letters not, impossible to accomplish without a building because the church is not the building. Matter of fact, let's get rid of that building. The church is not the building. The church is the people um, of God. That's who the, the church is. And God has plans for the people. And I apologize if you don't like your picture. And I also apologize if your picture is not up there. Uh, it was very hard to grab those as screen grabs with just very quick little moments of uh, videos. So I apologize for that. But um, uh, the the church is the people and not only the people in this Bible study that I've grabbed your little Zoom, um, but, you know, each of these little people characters uh, can can represent, you know, people who haven't been in this study, who haven't even been a part of of freedom yet or are a part of freedom and, and are, are moving forward or the people who are coming into the church later. Um, that's this, what's on the screen now. This is the church. Um, and this is, we can use what God has given us. And that is very much the vision behind this study in the first place and other things that we can do in the future. It's, it's, it's about looking at what is happening in the world and not focusing on what we can't do as a result of our circumstances, but focusing on what we can do. And we can do most, if not all of these things. We have the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, the same spirit that rose him from the dead is living in each and every one of us, which gives us the ability to do all of these things, to show God's love, to show how important a church is, uh, even in difficult times. And I know that we can uh, be doing that. And so I just wanted to encourage you with that, that there, that just because we can't meet maybe physically right now due to limitations, uh, we can focus on what we can do. And what we can do is still show God's love um, to his, his church and to his people. All right. Um, let's pray. Heavenly father, God, thank you uh, for your word tonight, Lord. Thank you that you're, you've allowed us to be your hands and feet, to be your bride, 
uh, to be your church. And we thank you for, we thank you for the responsibility. We ask that you continue to help us to come up with new and, and, and great ideas to help to do some of these aspects of the church that we've talked about tonight, even under difficult circumstances, Father. But your word still has work to do. There are still people who need to hear about you and lives that need to be saved. And so, Father, we thank you for giving us that task. We are honored to be a part of that task. And we just ask that you help us to find new and unique ways to, to, to carry out that task, Lord. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, stick around for just another second here. Uh, here we go. Next time. Next time is actually going to be in two weeks. So you get a week off. In two weeks, we will come back uh, to resume Zoom through the Bible Tuesday, March 23rd, and we will start a brand new study in the book of First Corinthians. In the book of First Corinthians is where we're going to kick off here in two weeks. Again, Tuesday, March 23rd. So between now and then, a couple things for you to do. Uh, listen, I told you there's a podcast exclusive. I know you're going to miss me so much next week that I've decided to put out a podcast exclusive for you uh, next Tuesday. At this very moment, I don't know the mechanism to be able to do that, but I, I'd be a hypocrite if I said I couldn't because I know I can based on what I just said, right? So we're going to figure out a way to get that podcast out. Um, so that will release next Tuesday. It'll be a little bit of a recap of what we talked about in the book of James, and I'll look forward to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians. It'll be a really short uh, podcast. I, you know, I have, I, I have the ability to go short all the time, right? Um, so, but uh, between now and then, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And here's a question. What do you already know about the book of 1 Corinthians? And before I let you go tonight, I have a little quick video clip from uh, the guys over at the Bible Project, which is a great resource if you've ever looked into it for Bible study, that's going to give us a little preview of the book of 1 Corinthians. So let's take a look at that real quick before we close out. Well, I messed up. Let's try that again. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, written to a church community that Paul knew really well. Corinth was a major port city in the ancient world and had lots of temples to Greek and Roman gods. It was a big economic center. And so Paul strategically came here as a missionary. He spent a year and a half there getting to know people, talking to them about Jesus. And a whole bunch of people became followers of Jesus and formed a church community. You can read about all of this in Acts chapter 18. So after a while, Paul moved on to start churches in other cities, and he started getting reports that things were not going well at all back at the church in Corinth. It was plagued by all kinds of problems. And that's why he wrote this letter. It's broken up into five main parts, along with a final greeting. And these five sections correspond to five main problems that Paul is addressing. And so the letter reads like a collection of short essays on different topics, but there are these core ideas that unite all of the pieces together. So here's what he does in each section. He describes the problem, but then he always responds to that problem with some part of the story of the gospel, which is the good news about Jesus. And he shows how they're actually not living out what they say they believe. And so this letter is all about learning to think about every area of life through the lens of the gospel. All right. I'm really excited about that. I hope you guys are too. We will see you guys back here in two weeks. If you need anything between now and then, don't, don't forget, uh, we do have that Bible study email. You can reach out to me uh, through any of the 
you know, you guys know how to get a hold of me. But uh, if you need anything, give us a holler. Um, I'll stick around here for just a couple more moments if you need anything. But everybody, have a great night. Thank you for uh, being here this evening. Have a good two weeks.